0: All right, we're going to begin a new study this morning in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Lord willing, we're going to go through First and Second Thessalonians. Um, so that's, if, if you can read ahead, I think you'll get more out of it every time if you can sort of read ahead before we get into our study each Sunday. Um, <clears throat> this is the first epistle that Paul penned. This is the first epistle that he wrote to a church was this book of Thessalonians. Um, It was written somewhere around 50, 60 A.D. Um, And as we go through this, we'll look a little bit at Acts 16 and 17. If you want to read some background about what was going on, um, you can read Acts 16 and 17, and you can sort of find out what was going on with Paul and Silas and Timothy. Mm -hmm. As they were going around to these different cities, and it talks about their time here at Thessalonica. We'll see that as we go through here. But we just want to look at the first six verses this morning, and I title this message, Favored and Fitted, because God will show us here that he favored this church just like he favors his church, period. We're just as favored by God as the church at Thessalonica. (coughs) because we're all part of the body of christ so as you read some of this stuff understand it applies to you it applies to me and we're also fitted for the work of god god calls us into his work and then he equips us to do the work amen god doesn't call us anywhere that he's not going to equip us and give us the ability that we need to do the work the Does everybody in here know what your spiritual gift is? You don't have to raise your hand, but do do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know that every believer has at least one spiritual gift? When God puts you into the body and baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, He gives you at least one spiritual gift. Do you know that spiritual gift is not for you? It's for everybody else. It's for the benefit of everybody else. And if you're not allowing God to use that gift in your life, then you're not holding your weight in the body. You're not being the part of the body that God wants you to be. You're hindering other people from being able to grow and be all that the Lord wants them to be because you're holding back something that God has given you to share with the church. You understand what I'm talking about? So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you need to be praying about that. And find out just exactly where the Lord would use you in his church. As we start here with verse number one, it says Paul and Silas and Timotheus. Or we call, it says Sylvanus, I call him Silas because that's the same person as you'll read about in uh, Acts, named Silas. And Timotheus is Timothy, is the, is the way we would, would read it. Uh, this is Hebrew, uh, probably, pronunciation. And then Timothy would be Greek pronunciation. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We want to think a lot of times we talk about Paul writing these epistles. But if you notice, a lot of the epistles, Paul gives credit to other people being with him and being a part of it as it was written. It says, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first you see that this church is positioned in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The book of Ephesians tells us that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, Many of these epistles teach to you and me that as believers in Christ, we are positioned in God and in Christ. Have you ever thought about the way the church is described that you and me as believers in Christ, Christ is in us and we're in Christ. So there's no way anybody or anything can get to us from the inside or the outside unless they go through Jesus Christ first, right? No no power on the outside can get to you and me unless they go through Jesus Christ. No no inward thought or inward uh, thing in us can get to us unless it goes through Jesus Christ. We're right in the middle. We're sitting pretty, aren't we? Right in the middle of Jesus Christ. And we forget that sometimes. We let the enemy tell us that uh, you know we're getting beat up out here, and he wants to tell us, you know, all of our problems and all of our faults. We need to just remember that we're in Christ. And Christ is in us. He says this church is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now. If I remember correctly, and I'm not going to say for sure that I do, you can check me out, but I think this is the only uh, epistle where you read God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ like that together. Early on in the uh, church life, by this time in history, it was already starting to be pretty prevalent that there were false teachers that were teaching things that were not true according to God's Word and was trying to confuse the church. And we've talked about them quite a bit. Uh, They either would claim that Jesus was just a man, he was born a man, and that the Christ Spirit, which these people, their teaching was that the Christ Spirit was just one of many gods that was higher than Jehovah God, that came upon Jesus for the three years that he did his earthly ministry and that when he died upon the cross that spirit uh, or that Christ spirit left him so that he become just a mortal man again because they're thinking is yes, God couldn't die so he had to just be a man well that's not what the Bible teaches or then there were some that was teaching that he was just God he was just a spirit that he was, some even taught that that Jesus just appeared to be a man even though he was a spirit. Uh, they read where they would say that he didn't leave footprints because he really was a spirit. He just appeared to be a man. So they wanted to say that he was he was just God and not man. You see the problem with that? The devil don't mind you believing in Jesus Christ the man. The devil don't mind you believing in Jesus Christ the spirit or the God. But he can't have you believe in Jesus Christ the God man. Because if you do, you can be saved. You see, Jesus had to be God in order to be sinless and to be perfect. He had to become the Son of God, which He was the Son of God in eternity. But He became the Son of God in time in a human body. He had to be God's Son in order to be perfect and be sinless because He couldn't be like Adam. Adam was sinful. He, He had to be sinless. Okay? And then He had to also be Man, in order to be able to die in our place, in order to be able to become one of us and take on the punishment that God said that Adam had to take, which was death, so he had to be both. You understand what I'm saying? So the devil don't mind if you believe in the wrong Jesus. And listen, everybody out here in the world has got a... a, a conception of Jesus in their mind and most folks' conception of Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. Just because people talk about Jesus doesn't mean that they believe on him like you do. There's all kind of cults, all kind of false religions, and all kinds of so called Christian churches that do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible the God-man. He has to be. That's why Brother Jesse said last week, you have to believe that he's born of a virgin. If you don't believe Jesus was virgin born, you can't be saved because he had to be born of a virgin in order to be fathered by God. Remember, the, the, the angel told Mary, says that what's in your womb is of God. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, came upon Mary. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So she she was a virgin to prove that she'd never been with a man. There's no other way that baby could have gotten inside her womb because she was a virgin. You have to believe that. And you have to believe that he was born by an earthly mother. That's where he gets his humanity from. You see, we get our sin nature from our fathers. Adam passed the sin nature on to his children. Our fathers passed the sin nature on to us. We, as men, passed the sin nature on to our children. Mary didn't have the ability to pass that along. Only the father. So, Jesus could have a human mother... And be fathered by God and be the God-man. Amen? Amen? Our Lord and our Savior. So he says, you're in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people in this day and time had a false idea about Jehovah God. They were teaching that Jehovah was one of many gods and that he was an evil God. That he was a God that had an idea of creating uh, people and creating the earth in order to make people slaves to him and all kind of weird things that they come up with to make him out to be the evil God. And and, and look, you know that's from Satan because you know what? Satan says that Lucifer wants to claim that he's the, the the true God, the light of the world, that he was just trying to help Adam and Eve break free from the evil God Jehovah. Well, you read the Bible, you understand that that's just a lie. It's just the devil taking the truth and turning it upside down. And listen, there's still a lot of people in this world today that buy into that lie. They believe that Lucifer is truly the true God, the light of the world, that's trying to save us from the evil God, Jehovah. So there again... When the, when the Gnostics, as they're known today, would talk about Father God, they wasn't talking about Jehovah. They were talking about a God that they thought was even greater than Jehovah. You see, you really have to pay attention to people's dictionary, not their vocabulary. Cults and false Christians will use the same vocabulary that you and I use. But their dictionary is different. You ask someone, do they believe? Look, you ask a Jehovah's Witness, do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? They'll tell you yes, that He's a Son of God. But they will not admit that He is God, the Son. Two different things there. Just because someone says, I believe Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind, doesn't mean that they're saved. Just because they say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, doesn't mean that they're saved. They talk about Jesus in the same way you and I do, but their dictionary is a lot different than what the Bible teaches us. So Paul is saying right off the bat, you're in God the Father," and he's talking about Jehovah God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Israelites, from even back in the book of Exodus, we read where the, the Israelites said that, that the Lord our God is what? One. One God. Not many gods. The Gnostics in this day and time had like 30-something gods that they said existed. And to read some of their beliefs is just its so confusing to me. I really can't make a lot out of it. But that's why I don't have to. I read the Bible. It says there's one God. That's easy for me to comprehend. He's manifested in three persons, but he's one God. So if there's one God, Jesus is as much God as God the Father. Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus Christ the Son. They're all one God. But yet they manifest themselves in three distinct persons with three distinct responsibilities. Then he goes on and he says, grace and peace to you, unto you. Grace unto you and peace. Grace be unto you and peace. Every church that Paul wrote to, and he wrote to seven churches, every one of them, he says, he blesses them with this eulogy at the beginning of the letter, grace and peace to you. Do you know Jesus Christ wrote to seven churches too, didn't he? In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ, through the apostle John, writes to seven churches. So there's really 14 epistles in, in the Bible if you will, to uh, churches. And Jesus did the same thing to all seven of them. He says, grace and peace to you. So you know that that's a blessing to all the churches. The number seven means complete, doesn't it? To all the churches. Today, God would say to the church at God's way, grace and peace unto you. How many of you could use some peace today? it begins with grace you ever notice it is always in that order it's grace and then peace grace and then peace the grace of God we could talk about it forever and never exhaust the wondrous grace of God grace that is greater than all of our sins grace that saves us and grace that keeps us, there is a grace of God that comes to us and gives us forgiveness and justification that we don't deserve, but we can have it through His grace. Why? Because Jesus has paid our way. That's God's grace. God said, "Alan, you're a sinner, your only way to hell." There's not a thing you can do about it. I love you so much. I'm going to send my son. The son of God is going to become a human. And he's going to live a life that's going to be a hard life. He's going to become a servant of men. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be hurt. He's going to be beaten. He's going to die on a cross and shed his blood to pay for your sins. He's going to become your sacrifice so you can be saved. Folks, that's grace. I didn't deserve that. I should have died. I should spend eternity in hell. But God's grace says, no, I'll make a way for you. He did the same for you too. Everybody on this earth that's ever lived and ever will live, has that same opportunity to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that grace through faith. The Bible says we're saved by grace through what? Faith. How do you get the grace of God? It's through faith. Only way I can receive that grace is to believe that what God says about me and about His Son and what He's done for me is true. And to live like I believe it, to receive it. But that same grace that forgives us of our sin is also the same grace that keeps us each and every day. It's the power that we need to live a righteous life. It's the power that we need to live the way that God would have us to live. It's also the power to continue to forgive me when I fail time after time after time. Why? Because Jesus was put in a tomb and buried. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. He's victorious over sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The sting of sin is death. But death couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. He's alive today. So he's victorious over sin because the best that sin could give him, he overcome it. And because he is raised from the dead, that same grace can help me to live just like he lives today in newness of life, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And gives me a hope that one day my salvation will be complete and be perfect and I will be made complete and I will be made perfect and I will live with my God in perfection forever. Y'all look real excited about this. (laughs) Think about it. What a glorious gift. And if you'll notice too, when he says this grace and peace, he says it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're reading a modern translation of the Bible, your Bible doesn't say that. Your Bible stops at grace uh, unto you and peace. It stops. Only the Bibles that were translated from the Textus Receptus have from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does grace and peace come from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> then Paul says we give thanks. Uh, so anyway, let's, let, me, let, me just, let me just say this before we move further. So we see that they're positioned in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're blessed by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, the reason I want you to read that verse is because I want you to understand that only by receiving the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ can you have any peace. Ain't people in the world today that don't have peace with God. They're enemies with God, okay? They're enemies with God. So were you and I enemies with God until we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Then... Because Jesus has paid for everything that God could hold against us, we now have peace with God. When God looks at you and me, if you're in in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, when God looks at you, he doesn't see any problem with you. He doesn't see any sin in your life. He doesn't see anything that he has to hold against you. He doesn't see anything that still needs to be paid for. He doesn't see anything that he needs to, to have vengeance upon us for. Why? Because it's been paid for. Once for all. Verses 2 and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the sight of God and our Father. Now, Paul many times talked about praying for the people that he had been able to lead to Christ, the churches that were started under his ministry. He was always talking about, I'm praying for you. But you know, many times you read it just like this. He said, we give thanks to God, what? Always for you every time I think of you and I talk to God about you I give thanks to him for you I give thanks to God for you you don't know what a blessing you are to me and I thank God for my church family he says making mention of you in my prayers remembering what without ceasing he says I I always remember these things about you Listen to these three things. It would be wonderful to know that these were three things that that God could say about our church right here. He says, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Where else do we read about faith, hope, and love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. God talks to us and describes to us what love is all about. He says, now abide these three. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. You'll see faith, hope and love throughout the scriptures. You ever thought about we live in a three dimensional world. And there's many things in the Bible that are mentioned and taught to us in groups of threes. So here's faith, hope and love. But he also tells us here what the three things that proves that they have faith, hope, and love. He says, first, your work of faith. The book of James says, but thou wilt know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. How do we know we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? How does anybody know that we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it just because you say so? I promise you the Bible teaches us in the book of Matthew that there'll be people on judgment day that will say, you know, hey, Lord, I did all. And they'll call him Lord. You know, Jesus said, not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they'll say, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And what does Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There's all kind of people out here today that are claiming that they have faith in Jesus Christ, that they have faith in God, and they're as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. They do not know the truth. The Bible says you know a tree by the fruit that it bears. And we all see faith every day in our lives. You had faith in your vehicle when you got in it this morning to tr- come to to here, to, to the church building. You had faith in the vehicle that it would get you there, right? If you didn't, you wouldn't have got in. Almost all of us in here take some kind of medicine or a supplement or eat garlic or something, you know. <laughs> And why do you do that? Because you have faith that it'll help you, right? So if I tell you that I believe that that'll help me and I don't do it, then I really don't believe it. You with me? So if I tell you that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, it ought to show up in the way that I live my life, right? He said you have a work of faith. He says you have a labor of love. And look, labor is 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 harder than work. Work is an action of, of doing something, but labor, man, that means it's hard work, right? It's continuous work. It's laborious. It's hard work. Why would anybody do hard labor? It's because they have a love for something or someone or whatever that drives them on to do it, right? You get up and go to work because you love your family. You get up and go to work and work hard because maybe you love your job. You love what you do. Um, why would you continue to do things in the church? All of us in here have been through situations in our Christian life where we've seen that we've worked in, a, in for the Lord... And come to a point where we feel like that it's just almost a futile thing today. That nobody appreciates it. Nobody cares. You feel like you're just unappreciated and wasting your time. Amen? Amen? Why would you continue to pick yourself up and stay at it? Why would you continue to do it? It's because you have a love. You have a love for the Lord. You have a love for the gift that he's given you and the things he's called you to do. I promise you, this is not natural for me to stand up here and do what I do every Sunday. It is not natural. I do not like to read. I do not like English. (laughs) You can tell, can't you? I do not like to study. Study. I have a difficult time studying things and making sense of things sometimes. I'm By nature, I'm very quiet and shy and withdrawn. I don't really like to be around a crowd of people. I like to be by myself. I don't like to stand up in front of people and talk. I never have like that. I don't like being the center of attention. I don't like any of those things. So I promise you, when you see me up here doing this, it's God doing this through me. But I could sit for hours and days and study this book and read this book and write things that I need to write in order to learn this book, to share it with you. Why? It's my gift. This is the gift that God has given me, and it's a love for me. I love to do it. And I do it because I not only love the Lord and I love the gift he's given me, but I love his church. And I want you to know the truth. I don't want you to be sheep that are out here that are prey for the wolves. I want you to be able to spot the wolves and to run to your shepherd and get away from the wolves and be safe in his fold. That's a labor of love. Listen, Jesse read us John 3.16 last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Talk about a labor of love. Read Psalm 22 sometime. Read uh, the the story in the Gospels of Jesus' crucifixion. Read all that and just think about what he went through. But it was a labor of love. He proved that he loved the world by sending his son and going through the things that he went through. You see what I'm saying? You can talk it all day long. You women know what I'm talking about. That man can tell you he loves you with his mouth, but you're not not listening to that. You're looking for something else. A lot of times you're looking for things that a man don't have a clue. But you're looking for something else. You're looking for proof. Am I right? That he loves you. And it's found in his actions towards you and your family. A labor of love. Work of faith, labor of love. And then it says patience of hope. When you and I talk about hope in our day and time, we mean, well, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. I really hope it does. Maybe it will. That's how we think of hope. That's not the way the Bible talks about hope. Bible talks about hope like this I know it's going to happen I'm just waiting on it right I'm just waiting on it I know it's going to happen I'm just waiting on it to happen because I believe it's going to happen and these people here had that kind of hope they had a hope that made them able to be patient and just wait until God was ready to reveal certain things. And next Sunday, Lord willing, as we finish up the chapter, we'll see how these three things were lived out in their lives. And then lastly, verses 4 through 6, says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, And in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. This church was chosen by God to receive and to believe the gospel message. Now I believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches that if you're saved today, it's because God chose to share with you the gospel message and make your heart ready to receive it and believe it and put your faith in that message. We're saved by grace through faith. The Bible says that not of yourselves, lest any should boast. Listen to what he says here. He says the gospel came to you not only in word. Now, word is the primary way that the gospel comes to any of us. It's as plain as black ink on white paper. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God tells us how to be saved. Tells us the gospel message. But Paul says that's not the only way it came to you. It also came in power. God gives his word power. He gives it power so that you can receive it. And so that you can believe it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God has to put power in that message in order for you to be able to receive it and to believe it. And he says also in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the one that, that is really, I think, where the power comes from. The power comes from the Word of God. There is power in the Word, but the Holy Spirit takes it and puts greater power in it. Okay? So that now He can open our minds and our hearts to it and help us to understand it. Because as we just read, a natural person can't understand this. You ever wondered why you talk to some people sometimes about the Lord and about how to be saved and they just walk away with a blank look on their face like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. You ever wonder why you can come to a place like this and a message can be preached and this person here can get up and, and, and come forward and say, I, I, I want to be saved, I know I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. This person here just gets up and walks out and it, it didn't, didn't faze them a bit. Why? What's the difference? The same message? They heard the same word. They heard the same message. But one received it with power. One received it in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost opened their mind and opened their heart that they could understand it and help them be able to receive it and believe it. He says it not only came with power but in much assurance. In other words, assurance means that once it gets into your heart and mind, you can believe it. You, you believe you can rely on it. You believe it's the truth, and you want to put your faith in it. Are you with me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, this, this word came to you not just in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in assurance. And why did it do it? Because he said, you have been elect. He said, you're election of God. God made sure that when they heard the word that they had everything they needed to receive it and to believe it and put their faith and trust in it. And so tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them may not be able to believe it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't tell it. But pray. Pray that God will open their minds and their hearts and they'll be receptive to it and that they can believe it and they can receive it. And notice he says, you receive this in, uh," he said, verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Ghost two things that don't go together in the world God can make fit together how many times do you hear people in the world talking about having joy in their affliction never most of us as Christians don't even talk about that (laughs) we want to grumble and complain about our affliction I'm as guilty as anybody okay Joy in that, Wow, That's terrible. But God can put those two things together. God can take affliction and make you and me receive it with joy in our hearts. Wow. We need some of that, don't we? It's there. If you want to receive it and you want to believe it, The Bible says that God makes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? The Bible says to give thanks in all things. We'll see that in this letter. Give thanks in all things. Not for all things necessarily, but in all things. It's all about our attitude. And I know, and I don't always practice it, okay, but I understand that that's what the devil wants you to do. If you ever start grumbling and complaining, you've just opened the door for the flesh, and I promise you, that's where you're going to stay. You cannot give it an inch. You cannot crack the door just to see if anybody's there. That's why I think the Bible says give thanks in all things. If you can make yourself give thanks for something, Even in the middle of the worst circumstance you could ever think of, the Holy Spirit will give you a power and a joy and a strength to continue to have that kind of attitude, and that kind of attitude is priceless. It's a witness to other people. But if we start grumbling and complaining, we're just like the rest of the world. They have affliction and no joy. And uh, you you can read if you if you want to this afternoon you can read in in Acts sixteen and seventeen, but you you'll find out that that Paul and Silas had just come from Philippi, where they had been beaten and put in prison. Can you imagine what they must have looked like when they walked into Thessalonica? I mean, they'd been beaten, okay? You understand what I'm saying? They they probably didn't look very good. Black and blue and bloody coming into this place. And in that kind of affliction, they come in and start telling these people about the joy of the Lord. How they can be saved. So when he says, we know how you received us. We know how this message was brought to you. We know how you received it and had joy in affliction. That's what he's talking about. And they were only able to stay in Thessalonica about three to four weeks is all. Because the same thing happened there. They had to get out of town. So the Bible tells us that all who want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ will suffer affliction. Don't be surprised that we do. But let's learn to look past our human experience and the physical experience to where we're sitting in heaven. We're in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's learn to live our life from that point of view. As you can see, these people were empowered by the Lord. To be saved, and then they were equipped by the Lord to live out that faith. You and I have been too. So, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's choose to live that way. Let's pray.